Tell you what, uh, turn to Romans chapter 12 and then put something there to hold your place and then turn to Galatians chapter 5. Just about have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this beautiful morning that you've given to us today, and we thank you once again for the uh, ability and the uh, uh, blessing to be able to come and to meet with the church. Father, we are so grateful for all that you've done for us. We uh, need your help this morning. We need your uh, spirit uh, to guide us today. Father, I pray that you would be with us that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see, and that you would give us understanding and enlightenment of your word. We pray that Christ will be exalted in our worship today. We pray for these brethren that are here. Lord, we pray that you would teach them by your word, that you would give me the ability to minister the word of God uh, to them, uh, Father. But we know that it's the spirit that is the teacher. And so I pray, Lord, that you would just give them understanding, give us all understanding of who you are what you've done for us we're so grateful for the salvation that you've given us in christ we are so grateful for the forgiveness that we have through the blood of jesus christ and we have a righteousness that's been given to us and father we know it's all by grace we know that it's not of any merit of our own any works of our own it's not even by our own belief that we receive these things father but you give it to us freely and Lord, that you've given us the measure of faith to trust it. Uh, and, uh, and what you have done is enough before God. And Lord, we just pray that the Spirit would continue to preserve us in that faith. That you, as you give us that measure each day, Lord, that you would give us <clears throat> to look into uh, upon Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. And Father, we just pray now today that you would be glorified in all things. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, brother and I, again, I want to thank Brother J.C. Fulton, who was here with us last week, uh, uh, for preaching. And as I m- mentioned last week, uh, I hadn't, you know, J.C. texted me yesterday or that morning and said that uh, they were coming up. And uh, I asked him kind of on the spot, you know, uh, hey, would you like to preach when you get here? And uh, we kind of went back and forth a little bit, just, uh, you know, well, I don't know. Well, it's all right for, if you want to. I, well, I hadn't prepared anything. Well, that's okay. Don't worry about it. Just whatever the Lord leads you to preach. And so he came and, you know, so we didn't discuss anything. He came and preached whatever the Lord had laid upon his heart to preach. And uh, as I mentioned last week, what he preached uh, in Romans 12 was a very great segue into the passages of Scripture that we are um, uh, going to look at. And that's segue meaning an entrance into, not the little thing that you drive. <laughs> the verses that we're going to be looking at today in Galatians chapter 5, and I don't know if we'll, we'll actually get to those verses, because I do want to go back and recap some things that J.C. had said or had mentioned and look again at Romans chapter 12, because I think Romans chapter 12 uh, is a great passage of Scripture that we have to understand a little bit 
whenever we're looking at the passages that we have, or vice versa, the passages that we are looking at today can shed light upon what we see in Romans chapter 12. Uh, but let's go ahead and read our verses here in Galatians chapter 5. We're at verses 16 and 17. As a matter of fact, I'm probably just going to go ahead and read down to verse 26. Because we're probably going to deal with this whole section as a whole, but especially dwelling on 16 and 17 and 18. It says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the lust, uh, for the flesh, lusteth against the spirit. So it says there, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Well, what is the lust of the flesh? Well, the lust of the flesh is the lust against the spirit. It says, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And I'm going to deal with those as we get to that, what, what we're talking about here. It says, and these are contrary the one to the other. And here's what's weird. Because it's saying both sides, one towards the other. It's contrary. The flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit lusts against the flesh, and these things are contrary one to the other. That means that what this wants and what this wants are completely opposite of each other. And it says that these things are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things ye would. And we'll, we'll get into depth on that later on. But keep that in your mind. You cannot do. That's, that's the reiteration that we've been hearing over and over through Galatians and other parts of the scripture that we've been pulling in as we've been looking at this. Are we still under the law? Do we have to keep the law for righteousness and acceptance or even preservation? Is the law something that we have to do to become more holy by keeping and obeying and all those things? Is that what Paul has been teaching? But we've been seeing overwhelmingly that no, we cannot do the things that we would. Paul said in Romans chapter 7, I cannot do the things that I would. Why? Because the flesh is not profitable and it it can't do anything pleasing to God. And it's always doing the things that I don't want to do. And then in my spirit, it wants to do the things of God, but I cannot do the things of God because my flesh is weak and I cannot do it. And he said, there's this war at, 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 at going on in my mind and in, in, my, in my body between my flesh and my spirit. The spirit is holy and blameless and sinless and desires the things of God, but my flesh is weak. It cannot do it. it it's, it's, it's enabled, unable, enabled to do it. It cannot do it. And so I cannot do the things that God requires. I cannot do them. Or that God has said, that God has put down in his law. I can't do those things. <laughs> so, he says, but if ye are led by the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in times past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit 
is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against us there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. So we see here before today in verse 16 it says, Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And so the question remains again is what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? What does it mean to walk according to the truth, to walk according to the gospel, to obey the gospel, to obey the truth? All these phrases that we've been seeing throughout the scripture, what does that mean? Is it saying that we are to walk according to the law? That we are to walk according to the Ten Commandments, to the moral law, to the civil law, to the ceremonial laws. All the laws that's in the, in the, in the Old Testament that's been given by God, all the commandments of God, those things are together as one. The Bible never does separate those out into separate little pieces of law. This is the ceremonial, this is the civil, this is the moral. This has gone away, but this is still intact. The Bible has never disseminated those things apart from each other. They are together as one law, one body of commands that God has given. And those bodies of commands condemn the sinner. They show that we cannot keep God's law. They are there to manifest the inability in natural man to be able to provide a righteousness acceptable to God. That was the reason. In Romans chapter 5, the Bible says that the law came in that the offense might abound. The reason from the very beginning with Adam that God gave Adam a law, do not eat of this tree. The reason he gave him that law is because Adam was created of the earth earthy. He was created natural, not spiritual. He was created natural. That's uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And in, in that, he is made not spiritual, meaning that he cannot keep the things of God. He cannot understand the things of God. He is a natural man, and the natural man cannot do spiritual things. And so Adam, from the very beginning, was made as a vessel that would and did bring forth sin and death. And God gave him a law because the law was there to manifest what was inwardly, what was already in Adam to begin with. And that is the fact that natural man desires and seeks after his own righteousness. Man tries to put himself up in the place of God just as Adam did. Remember the serpent said, you can be as God. If you can do, if you eat this fruit, you're going to know good from evil. You can be as God. And so what was the lust of Adam? Whenever Adam heard God say, don't do that. And then he heard the snake say, half God said, you're going to be just like God. That's the purpose. He doesn't want you to do this because he knows you're going to be like him. <coughs> and what did Adam want? Adam lusted after being like God. He wanted to perform his own righteousness. And so what did he do? He ate of the tree. And whenever he ate of the tree, God opened his eyes to see the difference between good and evil. And he realized that he was evil, that he had done wrong. That he was naked. And so what did Adam do? Did he go to God and seek forgiveness? Did he go to God and seek God's way of 
making up for that? No, what did Adam do? He went and hid himself and tried to cover himself. He tried to make things better by providing himself his own righteousness or his own covering. So he sowed for himself a, a, a suit of fig leaves. <clears throat> well, was that acceptable to God? It wasn't. No, God came and he saw the fig leaves and he seen that Adam's eyes had been opened and he, you know, he, he told him, you know, this is not acceptable. The fig leaves aren't acceptable. But let me let me kind of spark your thought here a little bit. Did God remove his fig leaves? What did he do? The Bible says that he killed an animal and he took the skins and he clothed Adam with them. He never did say he took off the fig leaves. He didn't tell Adam, take your fig leaves off. Here's, here's another coat. Now, the Bible says that God clothed him with that. There still remain the fig leaves. But God covered the fig leaves with the coat that he provided. And that shows us, brethren, that in this flesh, we still have the natural man, this flesh, that desires to make itself righteous before God by some sort of activity, by being good, by following the rules, by following the law, by doing something that we think will be provided to God, and God will say, hey, that I accept that. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. But yet, those fig leaves God has not accepted and will not ever accept. Matter of fact, if we come before God and that's all we have is fig leaves, and we don't have a clothing that God has provided for us, God will say, as he did in Matthew chapter 7, he will say, depart from me, ye doers of iniquity, for I never knew you. That's what will happen. So we know that inherent in man is this inability to keep God's law. God's law was there for the purpose of shining the light on man so that those who are the children of grace, who have been born from above, having the Spirit of God in them, causing them to know the depravity of their flesh, to know the inability of their flesh, God has provided the Spirit of God there as a convicting principle that is telling them that they are sinners and that they cannot do what God has commanded, that they cannot keep this law, and that he takes that, and from that, he points them to Christ and what Christ has provided for them. The good news. The good news that, yes, you cannot keep it, but guess what? Here's a substitute that did it in your place. You see, the natural man can't see that or understand that. They may get the facts here. There are a lot of people out there that in this world that call themselves Christians and they believe Christ died for me and his righteousness is mine. And, and I can, I, I can go to heaven because Christ died for me. But yet they spend their whole entire time trusting in what they've done. I remember back in January 4th of 2001, I knelt at an old-fashioned altar, and right there I was saved. And so they go back to their experience of whenever they give their life to Jesus Christ. They go back to an experience of whenever they 
prayed some prayer or they they went through some baptistry or they joined some church or they did some sort of an act before God and they say because of that I know that I am saved and that that because I did that you know God's given me salvation and now from that point on I'm living my life for Jesus I'm doing my best to to do what he tells me to do and you know whenever I'm bad God does God's not happy with me and I break fellowship with him and he turns his back where he doesn't look towards me and I have to repent and come back to him and I have to keep this level of work. I have to read my Bible. I have to pray. I have to do all these things so that I can progress and become more and more Christ-like, more and more holy, that I can grow in grace and knowledge, That which are two different things, by the way. Being holy and growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's not the same thing. So people begin to call themselves Christians and they do all this stuff and they're not looking to Christ alone. They're still looking to what they've done. I know that I'm saved because of what I did. I know I'm staying saved because of what I believe and because of what I did back there. I can't lose it. You know, a lot of the Baptists, they'll say, hey, I can't lose my salvation. Once saved, always saved. Which... It's kind of funny, by the way, side note. Kind of funny, those people that don't believe in sovereign grace, they don't believe that God has elected and that God has sovereignly, by irresistible grace, brought us to believe on Jesus Christ. They'll deny that. Oh, God would never force us to be saved. He's a gentleman. I've heard that by Adrian Rogers, by W.A. Criswell, by other men. Oh, God's a gentleman. He would not force us to be saved. He would not force us to come and believe. That he would not overstep our will. He would not do that. He's a gentleman. But they'll turn around and say, well, once we're saved, I can't ever lose that salvation because God won't ever let me go. God won't let me walk away. God won't let me turn my back. God won't let me walk away from the faith. God won't let me uh, deny Him. That He keeps me. He makes me stay. Oh, so God, it's okay for God in His sovereignty to make you stay saved, but He can't make you saved. That don't make sense. See, it's not biblical. It's inconsistent. It's unbiblical. So in this salvation, in this keeping of salvation, the natural man wants to do something. He wants to provide for himself his own righteousness. And we've learned that that is not what walking in the Spirit is. Walking in the Spirit is not walking in the works of the flesh. The works of the flesh are the things that we do outwardly. The works of the flesh are the things that we do And we think that because we do that, God is now pleased with us and accepting of us. And so that's what we need to do. And if we don't do that, then God is not pleased with us. But brethren, turn back, if you would, to Romans chapter 12. Because Brother J.C. brought up something last week that I think is really good for us to understand. Now there may be a little bit of difference between what me and Brother J.C. Uh, thinks about these sets of verses, not much, but there may be a little bit, and, and maybe there isn't, maybe I just misunderstood a couple of phrases that he mentioned, and, and I'm not going to you know, dissect and, and everything, because we do have 
mostly uh, everything we believe is, is in, in accord with each other. Uh, somebody just needs to get through to that guy about his eschatology is all. If he's watching, he's going to laugh about that. But anyway, Romans chapter 12. Let's read those two verses that he read last week because it's very pertinent to what we need to know to understand what we're looking at in Galatians. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. Now, that word therefore is very important. He mentioned that last week, too. You could even start the verse out with therefore at the very beginning. Therefore, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So here, if you'll notice, number one, if you'll notice here, it says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed not by the walking in obedience to the commands, but by be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You need to think differently. And that's what J.C. brought out last week. And he said that the therefore, what was the therefore, therefore? Right? We always say that. Preachers always bring that up. Whenever you see the word therefore, you want to find out what the therefore is therefore. Well, what does therefore, what does the word itself therefore mean? It means everything that I said before, I'm bringing all that to a summation, that all that has relevance to what's going on here now. Right? Now, this phrase here, present your body as a living sacrifice. Um... People think that that means that we're to take this body, we're to present it to the Lord, and that we are to be a living sacrifice, meaning that we die to ourselves daily, and we continue to walk in God's commands, and we do what God tells us to do. And that's not what this verse is meaning. That's not what the Bible has told us already about this whole subject. Dying daily doesn't mean that I put off myself and I die to myself and I do what God wants me to do, that I'm yielding myself. That's not what that's talking about. We'll talk about that one of these days as well. But let me just start out with this thing. I don't have everything figured out. I still have a lot to learn in the Scriptures. And... God has only given me the light that He's given me, what little bit of infinitesimal light that He's given me to understand things. And I need a lot more light to understand a lot more things. But what light He has given me, that's what I know. And I only know what I know. And looking at this scripture, knowing what I do know, is that the Bible cannot be saying that these bodies can somehow by us be offered up to God as a holy, acceptable sacrifice to God. And I want to tell you the reason why. Because we got to understand, because this is where people go whenever we preach that, that salvation and the gospel and justification and sanctification are all in Christ. Whenever we talk about 
that the way that we walk in our living is to be by faith alone, trusting in Christ alone for our salvation, that looking to His righteousness and not our own righteousness is what walking by faith or walking in the truth, walking in the light, walking by the Spirit, all these phrases we're talking about, that 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 is not us being obedient to the law. It's not that. We have too many places in Scripture that tell us that it's not that. So then whenever we come here, if we're preaching those things, teaching those things, everybody wants to say, well, what about Romans 12? Romans 12 tells us that we are to present our bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto the Lord, which is your reasonable service. The way you serve God is by giving your body over as a living sacrifice and be holy and acceptable unto God. But brethren, we have to interpret Scripture in light of Scripture and not by our philosophies or our theologies or our man's doctrine. We have to in, uh, look at what the Bible says and interpret that in light of what the Bible says. We know for a fact, number one, that Christ is the only sacrifice that is acceptable before God. Christ is the one sacrifice. He is, it is by His one offering of Himself, and He only offered Himself once, and by that offering has perfected every one of those whom He has sanctified. Turn with me, keep your hand there in Romans 12, but look with me at Hebrews chapter 10. At Hebrews chapter 10. Listen, it doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what Brother J.C. thinks or any other preacher thinks. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what John Gill thinks or Gilbert Beebe. It doesn't matter what John Calvin, Westminster Confession of Faith, Baptist Confession of Faith. It doesn't matter what any of those things say. I don't care how many years of history that men have been saying that's what this is saying. If God's Word contradicts those things, we should reject the teachings and traditions of men and go by what God's Word says. If God says, present your body a living sacrifice, but then it turns around and says, wait a minute, there's only one sacrifice that's acceptable unto God. He doesn't look at the sacrifices of bulls and goats. He doesn't look at the obedience of man because the obedience of man is faulty and short of the glory of God. So what is that talking about in Romans chapter 12 when it says, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God? It can't be meaning that. Well, look in Hebrews chapter 10 and, and look down with me, if you would, at verse 10. Well, let me, let me just jump back here. Uh, in, um, I'll tell you what. Maybe behoove us to just start at verse 1. Start at verse 1. It says, For the law having a shadow of good things to come. So the law was a shadow of good things to come. It wasn't the substance of it. 
Jesus Christ was the substance of what the law was shadowing. So if we're here and we're thinking that anything can happen by the law, you're wrong. (laughs) If we look out there when the sun is shining and we have that bird feeder out there and the sun is shining and that shadow is cast and you see that perfect silhouette shadow of that bird feeder and the bird comes and flies and lands in that tree and says, hey, there's a bird feeder down there and he flies and tries to land on that shadow, what's going to happen? He's not going to he's not going to land on anything, is he? He's just going to go right straight to the ground. He's not going to be on the bird feeder. He's going to be on the shadow. Is he going to be able to even eat any bird feed? No, because there ain't nothing in there. It's a shadow. Brethren, if we go to the law thinking that we're going to gain righteousness, if we go to the law and think that we're going to, going to become holy by keeping the law, which is the shadow of the substance, then we're sorely mistaken. Just like the bird, we're just going to fall all the way to the ground. Okay? He says here, For the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, now listen to this, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. So whether we're looking at the Old Testament where they were trying to keep these laws and whenever they were broke, they had to bring these sacrifices, make these sacrifices by the priest unto God, it never made them perfect. All it did was say, see there, you missed it again. Now the next time you do it, you got to be back here again tomorrow with the sacrifice. you got to be back here again tomorrow with the sacrifice. Daily, over and over and over, the priest's job was never done. He was killing animals all day long. People was having sacrifice. It was showing forth that they can't keep the law. It could never make them perfect. And so it says here that these things can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year. So do you think if they could not by their sacrifices, breaking the law, taking their sacrifices, presenting them to God, do you think you by your sacrifices, by your trying to keep the commands, are going to do anything different than they did? No. It cannot make the comers there unto perfect. You say, well, we're not trying for perfection. We'll get perfection at the end. We're just trying our best to be righteous before God. Brethren, God is not going to accept that righteousness. Whenever you try to do that, that is self-righteousness, which is unrighteousness. You're 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 not you're trying to establish a righteousness of your own, and in doing that, that is sin. You are sinning before God by trying to create a righteousness. You reject the righteousness of Christ that has already been given to you, and you're trying to establish a righteousness of your own. That's why Paul in Galatians told those Galatian believers, he said, You have begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? Can you by the flesh continue to be made perfect or to be something or produce something unto perfection before God that He would accept? That's, and it was said in a sarcastic or in a, in a, uh, 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 um, uh, what's the word I'm thinking about? A, uh, anyway, it was said in a way that was to, to lead back to no, you can't. You're not going to gain anything by doing that. 
By the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified. And listen, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be sanctified because we are also sanctified in Christ Jesus. So we cannot be made perfect by the law. It never was intended for that purpose. Is the law good? Yes. Is the law holy? Yes. But it wasn't given to us as a rule of life. It was given to us as a condemnation unto death to condemn our sin. And the law condemned our sin in the flesh, in the flesh of Jesus Christ. Our sin was condemned in Christ Jesus. There is now no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because Christ Jesus took our condemnation. He took our sin, all the sin and the law keeping and the breaking of the law that we did, just like these in the Old Testament. They tried to keep the law. They broke the law. They had to have a sacrifice to cover the law. Christ did that, but he did it once. One sacrifice, that sacrifice was acceptable to God. We'll see that here in just a second. He said, for then would they not have ceased to be offered because that the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sin. See, now we're not talking about the acts of sin, we're talking about the conscience of sin. One of the things that happens whenever we're born from above, whenever the Holy Spirit of God is in us, is the Bible, or excuse me, the Spirit, teaches us that we are His. Another thing that it does is it convicts us of sin when we have sinned so that we will confess that to God as sin and that we still need His grace and forgiveness and His blood to cover us because we cannot do anything before Him righteous. But another thing that the Spirit does is the Spirit, just like it says right here, it cleanses our consciousness it gives us a, a thinking of what Christ has done that we no longer have to perform a righteousness before God because He is our righteousness. It clears our conscience. But the old law, the Old Testament, all that stuff that was given before Christ came, even though it was effective before Christ came because Christ's salvation is the same before as it is after His death, the way people are saved, but in that old covenant system, they had to bring the sacrifice, bring the sacrifice, bring the sacrifice. And if you had to every day bring the sacrifice, reminding yourself and everybody around you, I'm a sinner. Guess who sinned yesterday? Here I am with my sacrifice. Here I am with my sacrifice. Here I am with my sacrifice. Your conscience would never be clear. Why? Because the law was continually condemning you. The law was there saying, you missed it, you missed it, you missed it, you missed it, you missed it. Guess what? You missed it again. It's not even noon yet, and you've missed it 29,000 times. See, this, the, the law is there to condemn. It's not there to make righteous. It's there to show and manifest our inability, not to give us ability. And so he says here, if that would have been good, if the law keeping would have been perfect, 
If that system would have been intended for that, then the people's conscience would have been made clear because they would have done what God had said. God would have provided that salvation for them, cleared their conscience, and they would have went right back about their business. But what would happen the very next time they sinned? Well, now I've sinned again. Now I've got to come back here with another sacrifice. Verse 3. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. That's what I just was saying. Those sacrifices was a reminder to everybody that we missed the mark. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Now let me stop there, brethren. If it's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats can take away sins, that was their reasonable act of service. Their reasonable act of service was to present to their priest a sacrifice that he would sacrifice on their behalf if that does not clear their conscience, and if that does not take away sin, if that does not make them perfect, then brethren, your obedience to the law, or your trying to be obedient to the law, is not going to be accepted either. Just like these. It is not going to be possible for that to take away your sins. So you're trying to obey the law is not going to make you less and less Sinful, Just like they're taking sacrifices to the priest did not make them less and less sinful. It just showed that how sinful they were because every day they're still here sacrificing things to the priest or to, to God by the priest. Same thing here, brethren. If we try to keep the law, all that's going to do is day by day by day completely tell us you're not able, you're not able. It's not going to make you less sinful. And people are preaching that if you will read your Bible, if you will pray, if you will yield yourself to God, if you'll give yourself over to Him, if you'll let go and let God, then He will guide you and lead you and you will become less and less sinful as you obey God's Word. If you see what God tells you to do, obey it. And the more you obey God, the less and less that you will uh, want to sin. That you'll less, the less and less you'll sin. Well, brethren, I hear the Bible. And I take God's Word over my Word, over man's Word, over my carnal thoughts. I take God's Word where it says that it is not possible that the sacrifices, let's just kind of condense the blood of bulls and goats, that the sacrifices of man should take away sins. Look at verse 5. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice, now listen, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. Hmm. So there is a body that was prepared to be the sacrifice. There is a body prepared to be a sacrifice. He said, I don't want your sacrifices, but whenever I come in the world, God has prepared a body for me, and I am going to be that sacrifice. Look verse 6. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. God has not had any pleasure in anybody trying to sacrifice something for their sin as a removal of their sin, 
as a covering of their sin, on exchange for their sin. God has not had any pleasure and has not accepted that, not ever, nor will He ever. So what we see, then verse 7, Then said I, Lo, Lo, not that low. <laughs> then said I, Lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. Who's the one that's come to do the will of God? Christ. Everything in the book is written about him. Lo, in the volume of the book, everything in God's word is written about him. All those commandments, as we've seen, is a picture of Christ, is a shadow of the substance which was Christ. He said, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. Above, when he said, Sacrifice and offering, and burnt offerings and offerings for sin thou wouldest not, neither hast pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Anything you offer by the law, whether it's bulls and goats, or whether it's do this, 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 whatever it is, drink that, don't drink that, eat that, don't eat that. He said, those things are not pleasing to God. You say, well, it had to be pleasing to God because He commanded them. Absolutely, He did. And sometimes God predestines, ordains, decrees, commands things that are not His pleasure. You say, that don't make any sense. What about Christ dying? Was that sinful? Absolutely it was. Was those men in their mockery and blasphemy and their uh, their uh, lying about Christ, their false uh, accusations, was their spitting on him, their ripping out of his beard, the whip flogging him with the cat of nine tails, the uh, beating him with the staff, um, was that sinful? Absolutely it was. Was there exchanging Barabbas for Jesus? A sin? Absolutely it was. The Bible says that God decreed that from the foundation of the world in His eternal counsel. That He decreed everything that took place on that. He said, Then said He, Lo, I come to do Thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that He might establish the second. He takes away the first covenant that he might establish the better covenant, the new covenant. Now look at verse 10. By the which will, now what will are we talking about? The will of God. Verse 9. Then said he, I come to do thy will, O God. The work of Christ in his ministry in the flesh on our behalf as our substitute and our surety. That's what he's talking about. By that will. The will that Christ would come and be the substitute for the people that God before the foundation of the world had sanctified and preserved in Christ Jesus. 
Those who God had before the foundation of the world set His love upon and where He said, I have loved thee with an everlasting love and He gave those people to the Son. He wrote their names down in the Lamb's book of life and that He gave them to Christ and they were in union with Christ Jesus even before they were manifested in the flesh. They were given to Christ Jesus. And the will of God was that that man who stood for us as our substitute, as our surety, as the lamb slain before the foundation of the world, would come in time and redeem those people who were born in Adam, born of the same lump, and come out of that lump as still sinners by nature, but out of those people he would redeem those people to himself once again. And that in doing so, he would take, and although that man was still by nature a child of Adam, he would put inside that vessel of clay, that vessel that has been cleaned on the inside, but still putrid on the outside, he puts in a treasure that cannot sin. He puts in a treasure that is righteous, that is holy, that cannot break the will of God, that cannot go against the will of God, that is perfect. And that's on the inside. But what we are by Adam is still on the outside. He says, By the which will we are sanctified through obedience to the law. Is that what that says there? It says no. Through the offering of the body of Christ or Jesus Christ once for all. Now that word for all there is added, but the word for all, or the phrase for all there, doesn't mean for all people everywhere, head for head, without exception. It's once for all time. He has offered that body once for all time. So whenever he died on the cross, that right there was what the basis of for all the people in the Old Testament they were saved because of what Jesus Christ would come and do in time. They got it just like we got it. It was delivered just like it's delivered to us. They trusted in Christ as their salvation, as their righteousness, as we found in Abraham's testimony. So that they are saved, we are saved, both sides of the cross, but both sides of the cross was saved based upon what was done on that cross, and what was done on that cross was already decreed by God before the foundation of the world to be their salvation before God ever created anything. That's why it's called eternal covenant. An everlasting covenant. That's why we call it eternal salvation. That's why we have eternal life. Because the life didn't start when Christ died. The life didn't start whenever we first believed. The life didn't start here. The life began back before the foundation of the world. And that life was hid with Christ, or hid in God, in Christ Jesus. We already had the life. The life was already delegated to us. Who we are. Michael Smith. Who I am as a child of grace is not this flesh. This flesh is going to dissolve and be nothing. But who I am in Christ Jesus is who I am on that inward man who existed and lived 
as life before the foundation of the world in Christ Jesus. I had my life in Christ, just like Eve had her life in Adam before she was ever brought forth out of Adam and manifested. We had life in Christ Jesus, life a spiritual thing, a non-corporal thing, a non-tangible touchy thing. It is a spiritual thing. That life, who we are in the spirit, was in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world. And he, like Adam, is our head. He, like Adam, had his bride taken out of him. We are brought out of Christ and we are manifested before others as his people. Just like Eve was manifested out of Adam. And so Christ has done that once for all time, whether it's all time back to Adam, all time going forward to the last day, He has provided one sacrifice and once for all time. There is no more sacrifices that's going on. Because this is the only sacrifice that matters. Because this is the only sacrifice that satisfies God. No other sacrifice is going to satisfy God except the work of Christ Jesus. And he says, By the which will we are, not will be, but are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Verse 11, And every priest standing daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. So here again, in the Old Testament, making those sacrifices cannot take away sin. In the New Testament, you... Presenting yourself as a sacrifice and trying to keep the law is not going to take away your sins. It's not going to make them less and less and more and more holy. This is clear as day in the Word of God. So we have to interpret Romans 12 by the rest of Scripture. That is very clear that we cannot provide a sacrifice unto God that He requires that He is pleased with, that He is accepted with. So God, because we cannot, His people, cannot provide anything, and I would say with everybody else, but we have a mind that we would want to do that. We would want to be right and holy. But nobody can provide a sacrifice. So what did God do? God provided that. Isn't that what He told Abraham? Whenever he told Abraham, came down and talked to Abraham, and what did Abraham do? He believed God that God was going to provide for him a righteousness outside of himself, and it was this, called the seed. That he was going to provide a seed who would be Abraham's righteousness. And that that man, that he looked forward and he saw Christ afar off, he saw Christ, and what did he do? He believed God that that was his righteousness and not what Abraham was going to do. But what did Abraham go right out and do? He tried to make a righteousness of his own. So what did he do? He laid with his handmaiden and he had had, uh, Ishmael. See, there's the natural man trying to do things in his own work, but the spiritual man believes upon Christ. Abraham had the nature of man, had the nature of Christ. He had that in him, and they warred against each other. But the flesh didn't profit anything. Because what happened? He told, take Ishmael, 
and Hagar, his mother, and they have to be cast out. They're to be cast out. They're not part of the promise. And just like us, the spiritual man is to be the one that we think about, is the one that is the center of our attention. And I don't mean to take away from Christ, but what we're talking about here. The inward man. Because the outward man has to be cast off. The outward man has to be cast out, just like Ishmael and Hagar, because they are products of the flesh, and they cannot please God. They cannot. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. From henceforth, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering, he hath perfected, here it is, for by one offering, by one sacrifice, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Now we've already learned, we're the ones who have been sanctified. We were sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world. We talked about that two weeks ago. So that sanctification is in Christ Jesus by based upon what he did on the cross. That's what's that's what that's what solidified everything for us as our substitute. He solidified all of the blessings of God, all of the uh, uh gifts of God, all of the things that have been given in Christ Jesus or that is good uh, uh and and gifted by God is because of what Christ Jesus has done. And it says that he has perfected them. Now let me ask you, if you try to keep the law, does that make you more perfect? How can you, how can you build upon perfection? If something is perfect, how can you make it perfecter? More perfect? You can't. If it's perfect, it means it's without flaws. If it's perfect, it means it's matured to, to its fullest extent. If it's perfect, it means that it is not lacking anything. Right? So if we're perfect in Christ Jesus, if He has perfected us already by His death, then there isn't any more perfecting as far as becoming more holy. So all these people that believe in progressive sanctification have erred in their understanding of God's Word. God's Word has said that that sanctification is in Christ Jesus. It's not in our law-keeping. Now look, if you would, verse 15, Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us, for after that he said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of, uh, now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. So our sins have been remitted, brethren. By the blood of Christ, there has been remission of sin. And it says here, where remission of sin is, or where remission of their, these is, means sins, there is no more offering for sin. Christ was the offering for sin. So that means there's no more offerings that is out there that's available for you to do for your sins. Why? Because God's offering... Matter of fact, go back to Abraham again. 
Remember, not only did he tell Abraham that he was going to be his righteous, remember when he had Isaac? And he took Isaac and he said, I want you to take Isaac up on the Mount Moriah and I want you to bind him by hand and foot and I want you to put him on top of that altar and I want you to plunge a knife into his heart and I want you to offer him as a burnt sacrifice. And Abraham probably was thinking in his mind, wait a minute, this is the child that you said that the promise was going to come by. That the the my lineage was going to come from. That the Messiah was going to come from. The seed that you told me was going to be my righteousness was going to come from Isaac. And, and you told me that this is the promised child, and that I would have a, uh, 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 that I would have all this, uh, 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 seed, or these people of my lineage, like the sands of the sea, or of the stars of the sky. And you're not even gonna tell me to take him up on this mountain and to kill him as a sacrifice? You see, Abraham had been taught of God from whenever he had Ishmael. See, so he tried to take things in his own hand with Ishmael, but now Abraham, by God's teaching, had learned to trust the Lord. The Lord said Abraham was going to be the child of promise. And if he tells me to take him up onto that mountain and to sacrifice him, that's what I'm going to do because I'm going to trust that God knows what he's doing. And what God has said, I'm going to trust. So if I have to take him up there and I plunge that knife in his heart and burn that boy up, that God will raise him from the ground. Raise him from the dead because he promised that this boy would be the child of promise that through this child I would see all these things. And so as they went up on that mountain and Isaac was walking along carrying the sticks and whatever on the way up. And remember, this was a young child. This was a young man. And he's walking up and he knows, hey, we're supposed to be offering up a burnt offering here, but it's just me and dad and some wood. Where's the lamb? Where's the sacrifice? What are we going to do? And so Isaac asked Abraham, I know that we're going up here to make a burnt offering, but where is the, where is the sacrifice? Where is the lamb? And Abraham said, God will provide a sacrifice. God will provide a lamb. And whenever they got up there, Abraham got Isaac laid out upon the altar, bound him up, prepared the sticks, and was just about to shove the knife into him to kill him for the burnt sacrifice. And God stopped him and said, Stop. Over in the thicket, there's a ram stuck. There's your sacrifice. And so he didn't have to sacrifice Isaac. That was God's plan altogether, was to prove to Abraham the faith of God. It wasn't to see if Abraham would do it. It was to prove the faith of Christ in Abraham. It was to prove that Abraham had faith and trusted God that even if I have to kill my son, God's still going to be going to keep his promise. And brethren, listen... For us, God has provided a sacrifice. He's provided a sacrifice. We don't have to be that sacrifice, just like Isaac don't have to be that sacrifice. Isaac being sacrificed to God would not have been acceptable to God anyway. Everything that we do as a living sacrifice is not going to be pleasing to God. 
So there has to be another living sacrifice, another body. Who is our body that we offer as a living sacrifice when we come into the presence of God? It's the body that was prepared for us, which was Christ Jesus. He is the body that is prepared for us. God, can you believe that? God, in His everlasting love for His elect, and His love for them in, in, in the redemptive work that would be Christ Jesus, prepared a body for Himself to inhabit and to come and to die in. He offered Himself a living sacrifice for us as a substitute. And whenever we come into the throne room of God, whenever we have sinned and whenever we have doubts and whenever we are uh, uh, feeling like we cannot uh, do what God wants us to do and that battle of the flesh is there and we desire the things of God, we desire holiness, we desire righteousness, we desire obedience, but yet we find that it's not there and we go to the throne room of God where He tells us that you can come into the throne room of God and that you can boldly come to the throne room of God and present your supplications. We don't come alone. We come because there is a living sacrifice for us that is there. We have one who is living before us who is our sacrifice. Christ Jesus. And the Bible says that He ever lives to intercede for us. So that whenever we come into that throne room of God, we don't have to come and be cowardly. We can come boldly because we have been clothed in righteousness. We have been clothed in the work of Christ Jesus. He was our sacrifice. And we have been made perfect in Christ Jesus. And we can come before Him and we can say we have sinned. And God says I have removed that sin. That sin is no more there. Don't worry about that sin. It has all been taken care of by my blood. Where there is remission of these, there is no more offering of sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiness by the blood of Jesus. Now here it is. By a new and living way which He hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say His flesh. How do we come by a new and living way? A new and living way. Now, He's saying that there is a new and a living way. What's the opposite of new and living way? Old and dead. Old and dead way. Right? An old and dead way. We don't come by the old way. We come by the new way. We don't come by the dead way. We come by the living way. Now, why do I bring that up? Well, brethren, I bring that up because the new and living way is speaking of not by the old letter. <laughs> The old way, by the old letter, by the law, can't do anything. Look at the wood with me before we jump there uh, at um, Hebrews, uh, I'm sorry, um, 1 Samuel 2.2. 2. I kind of got ahead of myself. Just a 
little bit, so I'm going to backtrack just a hair. There's a couple of things I wanted to point out before I got down to new and living ways. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, and look with me at verse 2. It says, There is none holy as the Lord, for there is none beside thee, neither is there any rock like our God. So when Paul says to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto the Lord, is there any way that you can present your body holy before God? What does it say right here? There is none holy as the Lord. None. Now, there is not shades of holiness. You're either holy or you're unholy. You're not holy-ish. Okay? You're holy or you're unholy. The Bible says that we are unholy. That's talking about our flesh. That's talking about who we are in Adam. We are unholy. So, if Paul is saying, present your body, a living sacrifice... Holy and acceptable. Is he saying that there is something that we can do in our body to make it holy so that we can present it before God? Well, it can't be because there's none holy as the Lord. Look at Isaiah chapter 54. Again, brethren, we have to interpret Scripture in light of Scripture. Isaiah 54. And sometimes we may not know what the answer is. But if we interpret Scripture by Scripture and we see, we may not know what it is, but we, might, we can definitely know what it isn't saying. We may not know fully what it does say, but we can know what it's not saying. Well, we've already seen, we know that it's not saying to present your body as a living sacrifice because there are no sacrifices acceptable for God except for Christ Jesus. The, by the one sacrifice... He has perfected them for all time. And now he's saying to make to, to be holy. Well, the Bible here and, and in many other places says that we're not holy. Isaiah 54. Look with me if you would, down verse 17. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. Am I in the right spot? Isaiah 54, 17. No weapon formed, or no weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. See, their righteousness is of themselves. They don't make themselves holy. The them in and of themselves is not. God doesn't impute His righteousness to you and then start imparting righteousness in your flesh so that your flesh can start becoming more holy. The flesh is always going to be unholy. It's never going to be holy. That's why it has to dissolve and die and go back to the dust where it was created from. And that's why the new body that will be given to you at the resurrection will be given to you because that body is created perfect and holy and righteousness in the image of Christ Jesus. We will be conformed to the image of Christ whenever we receive the body like unto His spiritual body and not this earthly Adam body. That is just flesh. He cannot produce anything righteous. 
So it's never about us producing a righteousness. It's always looking to His righteousness. And what was His righteousness? His righteousness was Him fulfilling the will of God. That's what we just read a while ago. I've come to do Thy will, O God. In the volume of the book, it is written to me, I've come to do Thy will. What was the will of God? That He would come as the substitute in obeying the law for His people, for dying as their sacrifice, and then rising for their justification. That, brethren, is where righteousness comes from. Look at Romans chapter 7 again. Romans chapter 7. I quoted from this just a few minutes ago, but look if you would. At Romans chapter 7 and verse 14. Again, this is the chapter where Paul is in that consternation of the flesh and the spirit. And he says in verse 17, he says, Now then, it is, uh, not, excuse me, 14, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that I do. Why? Because that inward man is perfect and it wants holiness and righteousness and the will of God. But the flesh can't ever produce it. Remember, we read at the very beginning of this in Galatians 5. He said, if we walk in the Spirit, we will not, uh, or excuse me, that the, love, the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh, so that ye cannot do what ye would. Well, this is Paul saying it again in another letter to another group of people. Saying the same thing. Now then, it is no more I, or excuse me, verse 16, if then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For the will is present with me, that's the inward man, but how to perform that which is good I find not, that's the outward man. So brethren, if Paul says present your bodies as a living sacrifice, there's only one sacrifice, that's Christ. There's only one living sacrifice, that is Christ Jesus our intercessor. Holy, there's only one who's holy, and that's Christ. What about this being this acceptable before the Lord? Well, Paul also taught about that. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. Are we made acceptable by our keeping the law? Are we made acceptable by our trying? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6. Now, of course, we see everything that's gone before this that has nothing to do with you as far as your efforts or your work, or your participation. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all what? Spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. According as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. We were chosen before the foundation of the world we were given gifts before the foundation of the world, blessed with all spiritual blessings and heavenly places. Well, who was? Well, I wasn't born yet. How could He be giving me that? Well, He did it to us in Christ Jesus. Remember, we were in Christ. 
Our life was hid in Christ with God before the foundation of the world. We were there in life form, in seed form, just as Eve was in Adam before she was brought forth. And just like with Eve, she was blessed with Adam. Whenever God made Adam and he blessed Adam and he said he's good and he blessed him and giving him everything in the in the garden to live by except don't eat of this one tree. The blessing was on Eve as well because she was in Adam. But if you look there, the reason that he put us in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world and blessed us with all spiritual blessings, we were sanctified by God. We were preserved in Christ Jesus. We were justified. We were sanctified. All those blessings that, that are in Christ Jesus was given to us before the foundation of the world and God declared them, decreed them, and looked on them as such. Known unto God are all His works, the end from the beginning. The outcome of everything that God has decreed and purposed, He already looks at them as though they are already done from the foundation of the world. So He looks at us as holy and without blame. Why? Because we're in Christ Jesus. We've been united to Christ. We are in Him. And He is standing as our surety and representative. We are holy and without blame because our right, His righteousness has been imputed to us and our sins have been imputed unto Him. Having predestinated us under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself according to the good pleasure of His will. Again, that had nothing to do with any of us, none of us. But look at verse 6. To the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein, what's wherein mean? It's talking about where did this come from? It came from His grace. What, what did His grace produce? He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. Present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable before the Lord. How do we get accepted before the Lord? Is it by our law keeping? Is it by our trying? Is it by our obedience? No, the Bible says that we are made accepted before God by one way, by being in Christ Jesus. We are accepted in the beloved, in Him. That's how we're accepted. It's not accepted by our performance. So presenting our bodies and living sacrifice is to look unto Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith. To look unto Jesus who is our life. To look unto Jesus who is our righteousness, our holiness, our acceptance before God. So Paul, back in Romans again, Paul has spent 11 chapters telling us how we were elected, how we were called, how we were justified, and how we were sanctified by God in the body of Jesus Christ. And so he begins chapter 12 with therefore, meaning in light of what I just said, in light of what I just taught, or taking into consideration the fact that you have been elected, called, justified, and sanctified. Those are the blessings of God before the foundation of the world. 
Taking into consideration these things. That word therefore can also mean because you have been elected, called, justified, and sanctified or in the consequence of everything that went before. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Our reasonable service, if you remember, Jesus said that everything falls down as far as our service is concerned, falls down to two things. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Upon these things you fulfill all the law. To love God and to love your neighbor. Your neighbor is your brother in Christ, by the way. The word neighbor in the Old Testament means those of the flock. That's what that means. So, look with me at Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. Hopefully nobody's checked out on me. We're going to run a little bit long here. Acts chapter 13. Look with me at verse 32. And we declare unto you glad tidings... How that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children, in that, how did God fulfill the promise? How did, fulfill, how did God fulfill the promise of righteousness, salvation? Was it through law keeping? Well, no. We know that the Bible said that, that all the forefathers couldn't keep the law. They had to keep offering sacrifices and it never perfected anybody. How did God perfect salvation and righteousness? That He hath raised up Jesus again. And it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my Son, this day have I begotten Thee. And as concerning that, He raised Him up from the dead... Now no more to return to corruption. He said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. The promises of David. Uh, The holy things of David. Wherefore he saith also in another psalm, Thou shalt not, not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God fell on sleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. Be it known unto you therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. So forgiveness of sins comes through Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 39. And by him, Jesus Christ, All that believe are justified from all things from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. It's by Christ that we are justified by all things. And it says here that we could not be justified by the law of Moses. Keeping the law will never justify a righteousness before God. So there's only one sacrifice that's acceptable before God, and that's the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. 
His sacrifice can be viewed as a living sacrifice because He ever lives to intercede. And by His Spirit, He is put within the child of grace. Uh, hope. Uh, he has put in Him faith. He's put in Him assurance that the sacrifice, that what Christ has done, is theirs. And they are partaker of that. And that they are accepted in the Beloved. Now, go back to Hebrews 10 again. Hebrews chapter 10. And again, I want you to see, verse 19, we read it just a few minutes ago. He said, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiness uh, holiest by the blood of Jesus Christ. You remember in the in the tabernacle there was a veil that came down that separated the outer uh, part and the inner part, which was the holy of holies. That's where the priest went in every year on the day of atonement and he offered up the 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 sacrifice for the nation. And whenever he went in, he had to go in exactly the way God had told him to dress. He had to purify himself, go through the purification rituals that he had to do. He had to put on all the garb that he was supposed to put on. He had to sacrifice the sacrifice exactly the way God told him to. And if, if by history we know that there was also, they would tie a rope around his foot because nobody could go into the holiest holies except the high priest that year, whoever was the high priest that year. They, they were the only ones that could go into the Holy of Holies. Nobody else could go into the Holy of Holies because that's where God and His glory would come down upon the altar uh, and upon the, uh, uh, the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant and where the altar was, which is the, the, uh, the top of the, the Ark of the Covenant. And He would come down and he, His glory would be upon that place. That was the mercy seat right there. And that's where the uh, priest would come and sacrifice and, sprinkle and spread the blood it was upon that altar right there. And they would wrap a rope around his foot because if he went in unworthy, not having cleansed himself properly, not adorning himself properly, not performing the things properly, that God would strike them dead. And they would have to take that rope and pull the dead body out because they couldn't go in there. I mean, it was holy, unapproachable. Nobody could go in that was not cleansed. That's why the priest had to cleanse himself. He had to go through that ritual that God told him would be acceptable cleansing to come in. But whenever Jesus died, that veil, the Bible says, was written too. It, it, it split in half from top to bottom. And it opened up the holiest of holies where we now can come boldly before God with the blood of Christ. That's what that's talking about. That's what he's talking about here. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus Christ. Well, let's look at what the Bible says about that also in Ezekiel chapter 36. Familiar verse to us. Ezekiel 36. Now remember, this is a... Uh, What's acceptable unto the Lord is the work of Christ alone. Look at verse 36. He says, or chapter 36 and verse 25, he says, Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and ye shall be clean. See, the priest, he couldn't go into the deal without being cleansed. 
Now the Bible says that we, this flesh, that inner man, he's, he's sprinkled with clean water. He's clean. He said, Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and ye shall be clean from all your filthiness, and from all your idols will I cleanse you. He says, A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. Where are we going to do those? We're going to do those in the spirit. That's the one that's been sprinkled clean. That's what's been given a new a new heart. Is that spirit man, that inner man. We have that in us. And the Bible says here that in the inward man we will serve the law of God. That's what Paul was saying in Hebrews 7, or Romans 7. With my mind, with the inner man, with who that is in me, I will serve the law of God. But with my outward man I'll serve the law of sin. Here he's saying the same thing. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. Why? Because within the spirit man we keep the law of God. We're perfect. We cannot sin. But in the outer man all it can do is sin. So here is that new and living way. The old way under the letter killeth. The Bible says that it killeth. Look in Romans chapter 2 and verse 29. Romans chapter 2 and verse 29. Matter of fact, let's look at verse uh, 25 because in Galatians we're dealing with the fact that they were being told that they had to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses, and be circumcised to be saved, and to keep be, keep saved. Verse 25 says, For circumcision verily profit if thou keep the law, but if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. And we all know that we can't keep the law, so it don't amount for anything. Therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for? Circumcision, And we all know that we can't provide a righteousness of our own. So we can't keep the law. We can't provide a righteousness. We're hopeless. Helpless. Without Christ. Verse 27. And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it be, if it fulfill the law, judge thee, whom by the letter and circumcision does transgress the law. For he is not a Jew. And this is what I want to get to. For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. So the circumcision isn't the circumcision of flesh. He's going to say that. Neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. The circumcision, the reason for circumcision was a sign of a cleansing of the flesh or a putting away of the flesh. That's the circumcision was. It was a sign and a symbol for uh, a putting away of the flesh or putting off of the flesh, cleansing from God. Okay? And so here, he says, circumcision doesn't have anything to do if you can't keep the whole law. There is no putting away of the flesh if you can't keep the whole law, which no man can. And the flesh can't ever produce a righteousness. 
And so that you will not, your uncircumcision doesn't count for anything because you can't perform a righteousness before God. So whether you're circumcised or you're uncircumcised, it doesn't matter because the outward flesh cannot do anything to make itself better, to perform a righteousness, and it, and it performing unrighteousness doesn't keep it from the promises of God. For he is not a Jew. Who is a Jew? One that has been circumcised in the flesh. That's how they became Jews. If a Hebrew had a Gentile that came into their camp or came into their house, for them to do that, what was they supposed to do? For every male, they were supposed to circumcise that man if he was 12 days or older. Right? Or eight days, something like that. They were supposed to they were supposed to circumcise him. And that's a tough way. It's already hard enough to get people to come to church now, right? <laughs> and to and to say, hey, you want to convert over to be sovereign grace? Ah, which we can't do that anyway. Spirit has to do that. But trying to invite people to church whenever the way that you get to come into the church is you gotta be circumcised. You got they gotta cut cut the flesh. But these people that came in, then they would be considered a Jew. Even though there's a Gentile, they would be considered a Jew because of the circumcision. But here Paul says, For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, and not in the letter. We got an old and dead way. We've got a new and living way. It's not about circumcision. It's not about anything you do in the flesh. It's not about the outward man. It's about what is being done in the inward man. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. So see, the reason God does this is so that praise would go to God and not man. If you can clean yourself up, your own self, or by even somebody else doing it for you, then that is not praise to God, that is praise to yourself. In Romans 7, 6, back in Romans 7 again, 7, 6 he says, But now we are delivered from the law that being dead, remember, Old, dead, new, living. Old, dead way, new, living way. For we know that... Or, where was I? Romans 7, verse 6. But now we are delivered from the law. That's the letter of the law. We're delivered from the law, which is the letter. Whenever it talks about the letter, it's talking about the law. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead, wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit. There's the new and living way. We serve, how do we serve God? In the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter or the old law. The oldness of the law. The old covenant was law. The new covenant is spirit. 
It isn't the law. We serve by grace now. We serve in the Spirit now. Not in the flesh, not in the outward working of the flesh, but in the Spirit. Let's look at one more verse. That's in 2 Corinthians. Chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Starting in verse 3. I'm going to read down to verse 18. It says, For as much as ye manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. So here he's saying, listen, you guys are our epistle. What's, a, what's an epistle? Okay, it's it's a it's a writing. It's it's it, you know these are epistles. This is the epistle to the uh, uh, to the Corinthians. This is the epistle to the uh, uh, to Timothy. This is the epistle to these are the epistles. And he's saying, "Ye are our epistles, written in our hearts." But he says, "For as much as ye manifestly declare to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us." I mean, we ministered unto you these things about Christ, and now you have become this. But he said, but it's not written with ink. That would be something that you could see, right? If you had a letter written with ink. I remember whenever I was a kid, we used to have, and now I can't even remember how you make it, but whenever I was a kid, you could buy these little books, and when you opened them up, you couldn't see nothing. There was nothing on the page. But if you took certain pencils and stuff, you could color on that, and all of a sudden a picture would appear. You could also make stuff, and I can't remember what it was. It may have been with soap or something like that, that you could make, mix up, and you can draw with your finger, and it wouldn't show up, but it, then it would show up if you, like, scribble over it or something like that. Anyway, you couldn't see it. It wasn't there. But if you wrote with ink, it's definitely there, right? Okay, well, look what he says here. He says... But with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, that's speaking of the Old Testament law, but in fleshly tables of the heart. See, it's an inward thing. It's a spiritual thing. It's how we minister and serve. How do we serve? We serve in the Spirit. We serve through our Spirit. Verse 4, And such trust have we through Christ to Godward. Not that we are sufficient ourselves. Now look at this and pay close attention, brother. I know I've been long. I've been way over. And if you're watching or listening or if you're here, hang in there with me. He says, not that we are sufficient of ourselves. That says a lot. We are not sufficient in ourselves to serve God in the outward way, in the outward flesh, in the, in the works of our flesh. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. How do we serve God? By looking at the sufficiency that is in Him, which is Christ. Christ is the sufficiency of God. He is sufficient for our righteousness. He is sufficient for our obedience. He was sufficient for our death penalty. He is sufficient for our life. He is sufficient. Verse 6, 
who hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not the Old, the New Testament. Not of the letter, that's the, that's the law, but of the Spirit. He hath made us ministers of the Spirit, not the law, not the letter. We're not to minister Christ by the keeping of the law, but through the Spirit. For the letter, here it is, the letter killeth. What happens when something's killed? It's dead, right? Old, dead, new, living. The letter killeth. The law killeth. The law condemns to death. The law brought death whenever Paul said, when the law came in, I died. That's what it means to die daily. Die daily isn't this encouragement for you to put off yourself, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, and go out and try to obey God as best as you can. As I used to preach, as I used to believe, as I used to teach everyone, it's not even me yielding myself to Christ so that Christ through me can do all those things. That's not what dying to yourself is. Whenever Paul said that I die daily or that I die whenever the law came in, I died. Dying daily means that he found out by the law, through the law, that he could not keep the works of the God, of God, the works of, of the commandments of God. Therefore, the law condemned him to death. And every day he found out that the law condemns me. I'm dead. I'm dead. I'm dead. I'm dead. I'm dead. When the law comes in, I die. So the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. But if the ministration of death, written and engraved in stones, it's talking about the law, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away with. Remember, Moses went up on the mountain and he got the law from God and he came back down from the mountain whenever he did. The Bible said that Moses' face shined so much that nobody could look upon it. And so Moses had to put a veil over his face because the glory of God had so much it reflected upon Moses and in this law he had to put a veil over, over himself. They couldn't even look at it. But eventually that glory faded away. That was a foreshadow of what was to come. The law was there for a purpose, but it would soon fade away because the old dead way is not the way of the Spirit. It's the new and living way. That's the way of the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit, living in the Spirit, led by the Spirit, is not leading you to try to obey the law because that's the old dead way that kills. Verse 8, how shall, uh, how shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? If, it, if there was some glory to the law, which there is because it brings us to our understanding and our need for Christ, but if that is glorious, how much more the ministration of the Spirit that is within us, which is perfect. The law isn't perfect. It can't make perfect, but the Spirit is perfect. And we have been made perfect in Christ Jesus by the ministration of the Spirit. For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. Now this is the ministration of righteousness. But how is the ministration of righteousness? It's not by the outward working of the old letter, but it's the inward working of the Spirit. That's how the ministration of righteousness is done, by the inward Spirit. 
For even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect by reason of the glory that excelleth. For if that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remaineth is glorious. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech, and not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished, but their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament. The veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Now the Lord is that Spirit. What Spirit? The Lord is that Spirit. He's the one ministrating the ministration of the Spirit. He's the one that works in you to will and to do of His good pleasure. He is the one that is working out that salvation. He is the one that is doing all those things, those gifts that He has given you. He has worked that out for you. And the work that is being done inwardly, that desire to do the things of God that Paul was talking about, that's the ministration of the Spirit of God in you. That's Christ in you. That's Christ in you. Who continues to hope upon Christ. Who continues to look unto Christ. Who continues to trust in Christ for your righteousness. So therefore, brethren, in light of all that that we just looked at this morning, in Romans chapter 12 when it says, be conformed. Turn back there, I don't want to misquote it. It says, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. It doesn't say go, go transform your mind. It says be ye transformed. This is a statement of fact. This is what you are in Christ Jesus. You are transformed in your mind, but be ye transformed in your mind by the, uh, be, be ye transformed, not by the working of the law, as Brother J.C. brought up last week, but by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable, perfect will of God. Who was the one that did the perfect will of God? Christ Jesus. Who is the one who is perfect? Christ Jesus. Who is the one who has made us accepted? Christ Jesus. There is none good but God, right? It's talking about Jesus. By the renewing your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, perfect will of God. We prove that by Christ's obedience. His obedience. What He did for the, for us. So what is the renewing of your mind? Just as Brother J.C. said. Thinking upon the things of what Christ has done. Thinking upon what He has done. The Bible says that we as the children of grace, we don't progress in sanctification. We don't progress in holiness. We grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. How do we grow? What is this perpetual growing that we experience through the Christian life? It's growing in more understanding of who Jesus is as our substitute. Growing in the grace of Jesus Christ. Growing in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Growing in all that Jesus Christ is for His people. That's what renews our mind. Whenever we renew our mind by thinking upon Christ. And that, my brethren... It's what it means to walk in the Spirit. We'll talk about that next week. I'm way over. So, 
Anybody got any questions or comments? Father, we again thank you for Christ Jesus and we thank you for the Word of God that is our only rule of faith. And we thank you for your majesty. We thank you for your sovereignty. We thank you for your love and grace and mercy. We thank you for Christ Jesus, the life that we have in and through him. And Father, may you be glorified through the preaching of this Word today. I pray, Lord, if the things that I've said today is in error, I pray, Lord, that you would bring conviction, that you would bring correction, Lord, I pray that you would guard and guide the minds of these brethren that are here. That if I would ever do preach anything in error, Lord, I pray that you would keep them uh, in the truth. That you might keep us all in the truth. Lord, and that you might give us a measure of faith that we might continue to look unto Christ Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Lord, we thank you so much. Without you, we couldn't do anything. Without you, we would be left hopeless and helpless. So, Father, I pray that you just might speak and minister to these brethren's heart. I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone here today, that you, by your Spirit, has opened up their eyes and opened up, opened up their minds to see their need for you, that they might, by faith, uh, repent of their self-righteousness, that they might believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, and that they might present themselves for baptism, and that they might be added to the church. Lord, I just pray that you just might... Bring others, Lord, to our church that are out there that might desire to hear the truth, Lord. There's many of your sheep that are out there that you are bringing in, and we pray, Lord, that you would bring them here, that they might find a place of comfort and peace and a place to uh, fellowship, Lord, and we just ask that you would just bring those brethren in. We pray, Lord, that you'd be with Jacqueline this morning as she flies to Florida and spends a few weeks down there with her work. Lord, we ask that you would give her safety while she's down there. Be with uh, Brother Kevin and Alessandro as they travel back and forth from Springfield to take her there this morning. And uh, Lord, they might be back with us. For Brother Ed, we don't know where he's at this morning, Father, but we know that you do. We know all the circumstances surrounding it. And we just pray for him that you might continue to minister unto him to keep him, Lord, and that you might bring him back to us once again. And again, we thank you for all these things. We also pray for our brother Larry Armstrong, Lord, our brother in Christ. Uh, we ask, Lord, that you'll be with him as he goes in for biopsy this coming week uh, on, on this tumor on his brain. And we ask, Lord, that you, you would uh, guide the doctors and the nurses, all those involved in that, that you'd be with his family through all of this as well, that your will would be done. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.